Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. What do you do when you're asked about salaries? You don't talk about what you're currently making. You don't talk about you know how much you want to make. You have to put position things from the law firm's point of view and to understand the pressure on them. So you have to understand things from the law firm's point of view. Okay, so this is another good question. I'm glad someone, same person asked it, so I'll answer that. So in interviews, they always ask about, a lot of times people will ask you about salary. I'm going to talk about that today, and I'm going to tell you the best way to answer those questions. So the smartest thing, I've had situations, it's very sad, actually. I've had situations where, and I can think of a partner I was working with recently, didn't have any business, but was making $3.5 million a year at a big firm, and which is incredible. There's not a lot of firms that can do that. And all the firms they were interviewing with, even though they were really good firms, never would have paid them anywhere near that amount, but the person really needed the job. They were essentially losing their job because the firm you know, wasn't willing to pay service partners that much anymore. And But they were at one point. So what do you do when you're asked about salaries? You don't talk about what you're currently making. You don't talk about you know, how much you want to make. You, talk, you basically say, I'm here for the work. I'm, I need a job. I realize that what I'm doing is I'm learning and or I like this place. I like this is a place where I can see me having a long-term career. And frankly, I look at being an associate as a, an associate job as a great opportunity to get paid while working. So it's not really my biggest concern. But one of the ways to really do that, do a good job of that is just to say, my, I hope I get paid what other people here are getting paid. And it seems like you have really good work. And and I know that if it's lower or maybe higher in one direction, it's not going to make a big difference after taxes are taken out. So I'm really more concerned about just making sure I'm paid the same way that other people are. So I've seen so many people go into interviews and not get jobs because they come up with these high salaries and things. I Just so you understand how salaries work, and I'll go through this a little bit just to answer these questions. So your five and four firms are just large firms that work for big corporations, and their pay is always the same. They all pay their senior associates and junior associates pretty similar amounts when they're not that much different. It's because they're competing for the same talent. Your three firms tend to be firms that work for medium-sized businesses or maybe smaller companies, but pretty much work for companies. Their salaries are all over the map, but typically they'll be a little bit less than the firms that rep- do nothing but represent large companies, or they're often in smaller to mid-sized markets. The, you'll have that and work there. And then when you start getting into two firms, those tend to be probably, they could be small businesses, but more likely, more likely consumers. So you have to put position things from the law firm's point of view and to understand the pressure on them of salaries. And these would almost all consumers and almost all individuals. So you have to understand things from the law firm's point of view. So when you're thinking about salaries, all you're thinking about is things from your point of view. You're thinking, I want to make a certain amount of money. This is what I think I deserve or whatever. But unfortunately, unless it's one of these AMLA 100 or 200 firms or a very well-regarded boutique firm, they can't afford, unless they have clients that are just sitting there willing to pay unlimited amounts of money and do lots of work, they cannot afford to pay. And these firms can't afford. These firms can afford to pay you market salaries. But as you get into smaller firms that are working for mid-sized firms or mid-sized companies, they're in mid-sized to smaller companies, 
these client these firms use these firms because people use companies use these firms because they charge less money. So an example would be if you're working in a mid-sized firm in a mid-sized market, you're, you can't possibly expect them to pay you anywhere near or very close to what these firms that are serving the biggest companies are doing. They just don't have the money. It's not, it has nothing to do with you. They just can't afford it. So you come in at them without your salary requirements, you're certainly welcome to, but they're not going to, these firms are not going to be able to pay as much. So when I say what is as much, not as much mean, it could mean they pay 10% less, 20%, 30%. It's not going to be huge, but it's going to be a lot less. Even asking that question, you should know the answer going into it, that it's going to be less than these this market type salaries. You it's just not going to happen. And especially if you go to smaller markets, you know, where the cost of living is lower. And then as you start getting into these smaller firms, which will maybe represent companies and small matters, but more likely they're just representing consumers. And and then you get in the smallest ones that are representing individuals. Individuals do not have deep pockets to fund big corporate, lots of corporate transactions or litigation and stuff. So it's going to be a lot less still. So if your goal is to work at a high-paying firm, you really you're going to have to try to get into these top boutiques or firms that serve the largest companies. And that's they can't. No one can possibly afford to pay you a very high salary if it's at one of these smaller type firms. And it's just important to realize that that whatever your salary requirements are. You're insane if you go into a three firm and try to say that your salary is a lot. You can certainly negotiate this kind of stuff after you get an offer, but you do need to be very careful when you're going in, uh, when you're bringing up this information at the interview stage, because it more than likely can disqualify you. And people do this all the time. It's incredibly common to make mistakes in terms of talking about how much you want to make. You just big the big you know, takeaway I would just say is. You tell the firm, I want to make as much as everyone else is making. And that's it. I don't expect to make more, but I also don't expect to make less than whatever you guys are paying. I realize that you service mainly mid-sized companies and can't afford to pay the highest salaries. So I don't think it's going to be an objective. Or I realize that you guys primarily work for individuals. So I'm well aware of what the salary constraints may be. And if you talk to them like that, they're going to be like, wow, this person understands us. And that's going to be a good answer. So just understand your audience and what they can afford. It's You can't be like, I don't know, asking someone walks in that's currently driving a Honda Accord and telling them they need to buy a Rolls Royce Phantom. Obviously, that's not how you would approach that person. You would tell them that you need to, that you would try to sell them something similar. So that's what you, how you need to answer those salary questions. I'm sorry, this person just asked this question, but I'll answer it. And I'm going to get to all the questions today because I have a lot of time. If you had litigation with an employer in the past, how big of a red flag is that? Uh, your past employer's privilege besides which you may have a settlement agreement which precludes discussing of anything concerning it. How should you handle any questions that may relate to why you left the employer? That's great. No, that's a good question. How would you handle questions related to that? You have to be smart about how you answer those questions. Employers are afraid of hiring people that have had disputes with others, but it's not necessarily the end of the world. That would be like saying, if you get divorced, no one's ever going to date you again, which just isn't true. You need to just be very careful about that. The problem with these red flags, and it just happens with everyone, is even if the employer did something horrible to you, which I've heard of a lot of bad things happening like that, but then if you, regardless of your position on things, the law firm is interviewing, you may have some issues. So if you a- answer questions about that, then you know you try to find things that you can say that aren't that. 
that are close to that. So you may say, and I'm not going to advise you what to say, but you have to, I, there's articles and things that I've written uh, that talk about reasons you can leave firms. Maybe if you research it, maybe they don't have anybody in that practice area. Maybe you were working with a partner, that partner left and couldn't take you with them. Maybe one of your parents was sick and you need to take time off. I don't know what the reasons are, but you definitely want to be very careful about mentioning any type of lawsuit or something that that you may have had. And I don't know what that would be. You may be in a situation where you find a very sympathetic ear. So you may be, maybe you had litigation because who knows, someone was chasing you around town or I'm, I don't know. And is it something that people could identify with? Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. I had an instance once, it was very, it was crazy, but there was a woman that was sexually harassed by a law professor at her law school and to file the lawsuit. And I don't know what happened, but all this stuff happened. And then after filing the lawsuit, it became, I don't know, it was settled and no one knew about it. And then when she started, and then the professor got fired from the law school for harassing her. And then when she started her new job, and this is hard to believe, but it's true. She started and the partner that the, the professor that had sexually harassed her was had been hired by the firm after getting fired from the law school and was like right down the hall from her. And she was very upset and quit. So she had to be able to explain what happened. And so in that particular case, explaining that actually made a lot of sense because who wouldn't leave a job if something like that happened? But And people were very sympathetic with her. But you have to understand you know, how does your reasons for leaving a firm, how does that, or suing an employer, is that something that people would sympathize with or would they believe that it could happen again? There's certain people that are very litigious by nature. I've seen candidates before. It's very funny, but I'm not funny, but where they sued an employer, but then after that, they sued another employer. And uh, you'd have to be crazy to hire someone that's going around suing all their employers. And it was funny because I just looked it up and then there were, I don't know, there were news articles and stuff about it. And I read a case and uh, there was a published opinion about it. So some people just make those mistakes. This is a good question. I had a second round interview with an IP firm for an entry level position, and I'm significantly older as law is my second career. Okay, that's fine. Position. How in depth should I go into technical questions? Should I get into scientific details to provide more of a summary? Yes. As a technical person that has experience in different types of technologies, and you could be it could be physics, it could be biology or chemistry. I don't know what your expertise is. But as someone with that type of experience, and especially if you're much older and doing this as a second career and you have a lot of background in it, yes, law firms, 
in the tech space or in the patent prosecution space do like to know about that detail and they do like hearing about it. And it's not bragging, it's just what they do. And so how do you put that on your resume? I think there's a couple of different ways of doing that. You can certainly put it under the description of what you do or what you under your previous employers and that sort of thing. Or you could just put the name of the employer and say you were an engineer or whatever it was, and then create a, a list of technologies or something that goes to, that appends to your resume, which especially if it's in a lot of depth, you would write everything out. And then after doing that, you would summarize it. And by summarizing it, you would just make sure you say the same thing without using as many words. And, um, and, and that's your work. But yes, law firms are interested in previous experience that you may have had. As a patent attorney, the age is not as much against you as it is in a lot of other practice areas. The reason is, is that patent attorneys are not expected to get on transactions and things and work about 3,000 hours a year, 2,500 hours a year. Most patent attorneys work pretty steady hours, meaning they'll work 1,800 hours a year or something, because the thought you have to really think hard when you just work compared to a lot of other practice areas. You're actually, as a patent attorney, you have a lot less trouble getting a position, especially an entry-level position. The other thing that's interesting about patent attorneys is a lot of large law firms do not do patent prosecution. The reason is that because the billing rates are so high that it doesn't make sense for companies to charge them. They also not do individuals that do that sometimes have big books of business and and there's people all over doing it. So so you can it's much easier many times to get in as a patent prosecutor as a senior attorney practice areas. Well, this is kind of interesting. Okay. I'm not gonna copy this person's name because they put it there, but okay. I am a 65-year-old ERISA lawyer with an excellent background. I'm currently employed with the Fortune 100 law department. But before accepting this position, or but before accepting this position, I did not get offers from dozens of second interviews with prestigious firms and large company law department. I found out through friends at these firms that the primary reason was I did not get offered was concerned about my age. So in possible future interviews, how do I alleviate or even address old age concerns, even though the firm or law department never raises this age issue during a second interview? That's a good question. What's, there's a couple of things going on here. The first thing is, if they're bringing you in for a first round interview, they already know your age because your age should be on the resume. That's not really too much of a problem. So I don't think that's something that you need to worry about. If you are getting the interviews and there's something that there's stuff that they like on your resume, and I and that's not surprising to me at all. The reason that they would like you is because there's not a lot of people with this kind of with the kind of experience you have. There's ERISA is a very technical practice area where there's not a lot of people that can do it. So you're actually in pretty good shape doing that. So what what's going on? when they bring it up and they're never going to bring up your age during interviews because it's illegal. So they're not going to talk about it. A lot of big law firms too, by the way, this is something to understand. They actually have mandatory retirement for partners and others at 65, but a lot of them don't. But you wouldn't be getting interviews with these firms as a first, as second round interviews if they did have a concern with your age. My opinion is that there may be something wrong, which is things I talked about today that may have come across in your interview. I'm going to say a couple of things that may seem a little unconventional here, and I'm definitely not trying to hurt any feelings, but about getting a position when you're older. When you get a position when you're older, you have to think, what is the benefit to the law firm of hiring me if I'm older? Is it benefit my experience? 
Is it there's not a lot of people like me? And those are actually two benefits that they have. But the other benefit of hiring people that are older sometimes is that they may be more flexible. They may be willing to work harder. They may not expect as much money because they've already kind of had a full career. They may, these are all legitimate concerns that law firms may have and, and things to make yourself more attractive. Law firms like hiring people that need them and they feel like there's, they have a lot more control. So just think about it from that point of view. If you go into interviews and you appear more eager and they know that you have the experience that you're, you may be, you may not be as much of a threat because you'll do the work and, and you'll be, who knows, but you need to position yourself in that way. And I'm not telling you that you need to kowtow because you're older, but if you don't have any portable business, that means they need to plug someone in to do the work other than, you know, that, and they can, and are they better off plugging someone in that's younger that may be able to take over those clients one day, or is it less a threat bringing you in because maybe you're working on institutional clients. So you just have to act like you really want to work. You don't see yourself being ready to retire for at least 20 years, which is actually normal. Think about the president, 80 years old or whatever, 80, I don't know what the, the age of politicians, you can work a long time, but you just need to tell people that I'm not going to be ready to retire for another 20 years. I'm working harder at my age than I was working when I was half my age. And that will make people enthusiastic. If you go into interviews and you act, you're set in your ways that you expect this, that you're in control as opposed to making people like you and acting that you're, maybe your age is an advantage to them because you're willing to be more fungible and you're less likely to leave than are likely to hire you. And I've seen this happen with tons and tons of senior attorneys. Like they're able to get jobs because, because they appear more eager. They appear less likely to leave. They're better off to be plugged into institutional client work. They don't have a lot of other options. So the law firm feels a sense of control. And this is an important thing, by the way, with all interviews. Law firms want to feel, as you would too, a sense of control. They want to believe that uh, you're likely to work hard, you're likely to follow instructions, you're likely to do things. And so how do they, what makes them think that? Uh, they think that when you're relocating from a market to, to your home market where you're from, that helps them think that. They think that when, if you buy a house in your market, that you're likely to stay. They think that if you think if you are married and one of your husband or wife is at home and raising the kids, all these things give the law firm an impression that you're likely to stay. So you need any if you're older or you're whatever your situation is, you need to be able to give law firms the impression that you're likely to stick around. I recently left my previous law firm due to a change in the firm's direction that no longer aligned with my career goals. How can I explain my departure during a second round interview without casting any negative shadows on my former employer? Okay, so the first thing is this is one of the biggest rules, and I'll just bring this up. Never leave a job without a new one lined up. But kind of the idea is that when you're when you start practicing law, you're you really hopefully don't ever quit. And you always have a new job lined up. The reason is because it's just much harder to get a position if you leave without a new one lined up. You need to never leave a job without a new one lined up. Regardless of what the firm is doing wrong, you just end up penalizing yourself. Now, the reason is because that law firms have choices and they're more likely to hire people that are employed than unemployed. So unemployed people are a risk and employed are less than a risk. It's important to understand the basic rule about how about employability. So 
you're actually much better off. It's much easier to get a job if you're unemployed than unemployed. And just once you're a risk, then they can just, they can eliminate people that are a risk or people that are less likely to be at risk. I want to get back to your question, but I just wanted to make sure I educated everyone on this because uh, people quit jobs all the time without ones lined up. And it's just, it's not a good idea because you need to realize that. The problem with quitting jobs is just because liars are just expected to continually work. And and I don't know why that is, but there's a lot of, there's a story of once lawyers stop practicing, they rarely go back. Once pilots stop flying, they rarely go back. And uh, and I read an article, not just about lawyers, but certain professions where when people leave, they rarely go back, whether it's being a doctor or whatever, and our pilot. And they talked about, I don't know, there was years ago, there was this pilot that had a flying from New York, New Jersey or something and had a, his plane fail and he had to land on the Hudson River. And and he never went back to flying because he took time off going on a speaking tour or something. I don't know what happened. But the point is, a lot of times when people leave, they don't come back. And you need to be very careful about that. But if people are asking you why you left, why without casting a negative light, the most, the best way of doing that is talking about maybe there wasn't enough work or maybe, maybe you were on a transaction and something, I don't know, improper was happening or you got uncomfortable. I don't know. But you have to really think about that. And I would... It's not my role to tell you uh, the reasons, but you can sometimes your career goals could be something as simple as you wanted to be, you wanted to work on different types of matters, you wanted to work on, you wanted to work on, I don't know what it is, or a different practice area, or you joined the, you're a corporate attorney and you joined to do corporate related work, and all of a sudden you're doing all litigation. That's not ideal, but that certainly could be the type of answer. I've seen people, I know one person that joined a, a firm and I know it was Syracuse or something, and, and they found out that the firm's clients were mostly adult entertainment companies. There's different reasons that you may want to leave, but you just need to be very careful in terms of how you, you frame that. And no one's perfect, so there's nothing wrong uh, with having some things on your resume and stuff that aren't perfect. Um, typically, all that means is that you need to try to, to get, you just need to look at more places many times. When you have those reasons, because you have to understand what are you, what is it you're offering? Are you going to do the same thing with the next employer? Have you learned your lesson uh, and what happened? And, and so that's kind of how that works. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. Can you provide some insights into the role of preparation and excelling during second round interviews? What are some key areas that attorneys should focus on when preparing in order to prepare for the interview process and make a memorable impression. The biggest thing you can do is just figure out what your weaknesses are and identify those and then identify your strengths. And then you try to focus on your strengths. But the biggest thing you can do that I, in my opinion, is just psychological in nature. And so that means getting yourself just very excited about wherever it is you're interviewing and just getting yourself pumped up, like thinking positive sights about it, getting excited about it and all those sorts of things. And the better off you do with that, the better off you're really going to be. So you really want to do whatever you can to really look like you're fired up, excited, 
likely to do a good job and and really think positively. Uh, if you're if you're enthusiastic and seem happy enough and enthusiastic about the law firm and really like them and able to like the people, then a lot of those mistakes and things that you may make are much less serious than they might normally be or things that are bad in your background or you don't like in your background. My biggest thing would be to you almost want to brainwash yourself to be incredibly enthusiastic about the firm going into it. This is a good question. It's kind of a fun question. Okay. How do you recommend preparing for second round interviews with a junior associate, Zoom interview with two partners? The first thing is I always recommend it is to dress up. You put on a tie and and that sort of thing. You also want to blur your background. So you don't want you, know, you don't want people to see your background necessarily. So you blur uh, everything behind you, just a setting. The reason is that someone could walk in front of the camera. Maybe you have some books up there that you don't want I mean, behind you. I don't know. You blur your background. You show up early. You, you try to you smile. You try not to look nervous. And, and all the same things that you would do in a, in a regular interview. So the Zoom interview is basically the firm's the same thing. They're concerned about making, the firm's concerned about making money, having people that they can plug into work, pay you, not think anything else of it, um, and have you do the work. But those are some of the main recommendations I would make. Other things are to really know the firm. So dropping hints that you, I was interviewing someone the other day and I was very impressed with this person because they were a great person, great candidate. I think it was for a, it was for a recruiter role, but they, they had incredible academics and really good job that they were in that was related to what we do. And, and they showed up with doing all these things. They were dressed up and put on a tie and women, of course, it would be a different type of dress, but they, they were there early. The background was blurred. They were very nice and able to get along well. They then they asked good questions. And then they did a few things that I thought was very interesting that's important. They said, they started talking about podcasts that I've done that they've listened to and webinars and things that they watched. And, and I certainly don't expect people to do all that before an interview, but that really made an impression on me because that showed that the person was really into it. What do you do when you go to an interview with two parties? You maybe look up the work that they've done. If they, maybe if they're litigators, you talk about a case that they worked on. Maybe you find some information that's open where you could read one of their briefs or something and tell them you really liked it and what they did and all those sorts of things that may show them that you care and that you like them are really important. So think about how can you talk about the work if they've written articles, maybe you read their article. Um, and very few people do this kind of stuff. I, if I interview 10 people, only one or two will do this kind of thing. But this is what it takes to really be able to get a job. So you need to be able to, that's how I, one of the things I would recommend doing. I'm currently interviewing with a company that has invited me to a second round interview with a hiring manager. If I make it past the second round, I'll be interviewing with a panel consisting of potential peers and internal clients. Can you give me some tips on handling one-on-one -on -one interviews versus panel interviews? Yeah, panel interviews are interesting. The problem with panel interviews a lot of times is you can see, you'll get an understanding of where, if there's any resistance to you and when we're hiring. Every firm, not every firm, but most jobs will have people in the firm that really want to hire you. And then in some cases, there may be resistance to hiring you. So what does that mean? So if there's an opening for a corporate associate, that panel interview may involve people from litigation or a par partner from litigation. Maybe that partner from litigation has wanted to get hire extra people for a while, or maybe they have a dispute 
with someone in corporate that they don't like because they didn't get enough, they didn't get enough of the distribution from or make, they're not making as much money as they want to in that part. You don't know what's going on. So in most groups of people, there's some sort of disagreement. And you have to go into those panel interviews under the assumption that um, these people are not, they're most, there's going to be people in there that are going to support you. And there's going to be people in there that may be against you. And you don't know the person that might be against you maybe, or may look, not say anything might actually be for you. And the person that is for you, you don't know, but that that's the kind of thing that often happens in panel interviews. So you need to be very careful in panel interviews. Also, the panel interviewers are showing off sometimes. They may try to ask difficult questions just to show that they're really smart or something to other interviewers. You just don't know. And so what is your response here? You need to be very, really try to make a connection with everyone on the panel. And that's hard to do. So by making a connection, it means you need to try to learn about people in it. You need to try to learn about the firm. And you need to try to talk positively about the firm. And, uh, and you need to be really put yourself in a position where the law firm likes you and, and where there's where you make yourself seem very valuable and like you work very hard. That's my biggest thing about panel interviews. I think they're, they can be a little bit scary. But if you remember, the only objective of any interview is will you make us money and will you make us money over the long term? That's going to help you quite a bit. So just trying to tell them the answers that make it seem you're likely to be stable, like you're likely to stick around and you're likely to to do well. One of the I, I talk about this in every webinar, but these are the questions that all law firms are asking. Can you do the job long term? Can you be managed? Want the job? Do we like you? I don't know. Will you fit in? I mean, um, so pretty much when a law firm is bringing you in, they, they already know in your resume whether or not you have the ability to do the job. And but what they don't know is whether or not you'll stick around, which people, that means will you do the job long term? People get into trouble with that all the time because they will say things and do things in their interviews that are make it seem like they're unlikely to stick around. So you have to be careful. They'll also say things that make it look like they're difficult to manage. Sometimes they'll approach them like they don't really want the job or they'll be less enthusiastic. And then these sorts of things you can you necessarily being liked and fitting in are things you can't control. But being likable just means being positive and happy and enthusiastic. And then fitting in means that that you're, you you do your best to to be similar to the people in the firm in a way that you just seem like you could be a cultural fit. And cultural fits have nothing to do with race or your sexual orientation or your political party. It really has more to do with, do you see the world and the practice of law in a similar way? And some law firms may be overly, might have really good customer service. Others might just, it depends if what fitting in there means. And, and so you have to try to understand that when you go in there. And the only way to do that really is to research the firm and pick up clues you may have seen in your screening interview. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com. 